Good morning, and welcome to worship at Central Baptist Church. As we get started this morning, I ask that you pass the friendship pads at the end of the pews. If you are interested in learning more about this congregation or ways that you can serve, please include an email or a phone number, and a staff member will contact you to answer any questions you may have. As those are being passed, I wanted to remind you and invite you all to stay after church for a lunch on the grounds immediately following this service. We had planned to have lunch and fellowship outside, but as you can tell, it decided to rain for the first time in several weeks, uh, which is welcomed, right? I mean, we all wanted the rain. Uh, so we are adapting this morning. Uh, the food will be served inside in the foyer, followed by a friendly game of wiffle ball in the gym. So please make sure to stay for that. There's no cost for lunch and we have plenty of food. So after this, the service, go ahead and go through the line, grab a plate, sit down, and share a meal together as we um, celebrate this church and this, these people here. You may be wondering who is this man telling me what to do? Well, I'm Charles, the associate pastor of this congregation and just back from my extended paternity leave. Uh, so good to be with you all. I'd like to say that I have returned rested and renewed, <laughs> but with a six-month-old teething and learning to crawl, that is far from the truth. Nevertheless, I am thankful for this opportunity, for this time, to adjust and to bond with Edith. And I am thankful to this church for the care that you show in allowing such a time for me and my family. It is greatly appreciated. And I am glad to be back, writing emails, planning events, and participating in this place with you to cultivate a nurturing community. This morning, may we continue to extend that same spirit as we worship God together.
Good morning. Please join me in our call to worship. Remember, remember we come together today to offer gratitude to God, to call on God's name. When we leave here today, we leave as a church to make known God's work among God's people. Remember, we sing God's praises here, and we seek to live lives for God in the world. We come together to worship God, to lift our hearts and voices in joy. We come together today to seek God's strength for the task ahead. We search for God every day. As we seek God, we must remember the wonderful work God has done. We praise God for sustaining miracles and grace-filled guidance. Alleluia. Amen. Alleluia. Amen. I'll begin the prayer this morning with some words that are familiar to all of you, or to most of you, if you will pray with me now. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. This is our heart cry. 
day unto day. We long to know thy will and thy way. Teach us to pray, Lord, teach us to pray. Our wakened will, Lord, thou canst renew. Our sinful nature thou canst subdue. Fill us just now with power anew, power to prayer and power to do. O oh God, our loving Father, we ask you to accept imperfect prayers from imperfect lives. Our world is hurting, Lord, because of greed and arrogance, quickness to judge and slowness to borrow and walk in the shoes of those we judge. We have failed to bear one another's burdens. We beg you to bathe us in drops of wisdom, hope, peace, confidence, and grace. Remind us that it is not too late for each of us to try to be and do our best. We ask your blessings on our shut-ins, our brothers and sisters in crises of health, finances, broken relationships, depression and anxiety, and the realities of growing up and growing old. Bless Mother Nature and Father Time. Show us how to use and care for our world in the short span we walk upon it. Give us strength to bear bad news, to read and listen and sort through the madness of politics and diplomacy, falsehoods and rumor, understandable mistakes, deceitful cover-ups and doublespeak. Help us pray for those we despise, that their and our hearts and minds will be healed in the light of truth and fairness and love. What must we say, Lord? What must we do? Thank you for not abandoning us, Lord. Thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you for the joy of our salvation to remember the wonderful works you have done, both despite us and through us, as we walk this week and evermore. Amen. Hebrew scriptures this morning uh, come from the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 19 through 26. The cloud of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I invite you now to join with me in singing the chorus to uh, a song. I'll sing the verses, you join in in the chorus. And uh, the chorus of this comes actually from, uh, uh, from, from these verses, your steadfast love uh, never ceases or never quits, um, which is a, a, a beautiful word and a rich word in the Hebrew hesed um, that is much more than just love, but it's this steadfast love, this covenant love, this love that is born of relationship um, that is strong and that never ends, uh, that continues no matter what. Um, so as we sing this morning, recognizing that we all find ourselves in different places in our lives. Sometimes the roads we find that we travel are difficult uh, and filled with um, heartache. Uh, sometimes um, they're filled with joy, but whatever we have, we can bring these things to God. We can bring ourselves just as we are, our whole selves uh, before God in God's presence and know the healing and the love of God in our lives. So let me show you, uh, sing for you uh, the chorus and then we'll practice that and then we'll sing this together. Your steadfast love never ever quits. Sing that with me. Your steadfast love never ever quits. One more time. Your steadfast love never ever quits. Let's let that be our prayer this morning. When this road unravels, washed in desert sands, words will end the heat waves, prayers melt in hot winds, still Steadfast love 
Today I am pleased to welcome Reverend Dr. Dennis Johnson to Christ's pulpit as our guest proclaimer of the good news. Dennis and his wife Holly retired to Lexington not quite two years ago after serving 20 years as the senior pastor at Baptist Temple in Charleston, West Virginia. Previous, he spent another 20 years of ministry in Chicago and has served and continues to serve on the executive board of the American Baptist Convention. Part of Dennis's lifelong interest and career has been studying the life of Baptist preacher, pastor, theologian, professor, and ethicist Walter Rauschenbusch. You'll notice that Dennis has a book soon to be released in the spring of daily devotionals with Rauschenbusch's writings as a formation part of those daily reflections. Rauschenbusch ministered at the beginning of the 20th century, a time in American history that some compare to this time, where there were outward assertions of prosperity that hid a deeper reality of sickness, poverty, and addiction where the rich got richer and the poor got poor. Like the prophets of old, including Jeremiah, who we have been thinking about this past few weeks, they believed and taught about the kingdom of God, not reserved for some heavenly realm, but as a pressing reality that demanded the people of God to be concerned and working for the relief healing, and salvation of all people to seek the everyday concerns and needs of regular people who struggle as truly the concerns of those who are called together in Christ. That God's kingdom is here and now and we, the people of God, help usher it in as God leads us. God cares about you and the totality of your existence. And so I'm very thankful to count Dennis as a friend, a colleague, a congregant, and a wise guide for all of us as we consider the depths of God's love and our responsibility to concrete, concretely share this love with others. Helping us in this task is our gospel lesson for today, found in the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And I invite you to stand for its hearing as you remain standing for the offertory hymn. I read to you Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
When he, meaning Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once... Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
Let's pray together, please. Dear God, we're going to count on you to work on us at the heart level, that you will refine, you will restore, you will build, you will give us something deep inside that won't allow us not to love each other as you love us. And in the meantime, we'll work on the behavioral level. We'll try hard to say good words. We'll try hard to give good gifts. We'll try hard to do our part, even as you're taking care of the heart. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
I want to thank the congregation. Holly and I have really experienced a gracious hospitality here as you've welcomed us as transplants to Lexington after 40 years of ministry. And I can honestly confess to you that it feels just quite good sitting in the pew <laughs> rather than behind the pulpit. I don't get many opportunities to preach these days. So the fact that, Mark, you've asked me to do this is I'm trusting everybody for some grace here this morning. I'm a little rusty at doing this, but when my American Baptist friends ask us, uh, Dennis, where do, you, where do you attend worship? Since there are no American Baptist churches here in the area, I say, well, as hot as it may sound, we actually attend a healthy Baptist church. And we're glad to be here. And, and I would ask that as, as we pause for a moment that you join me with in a word of prayer. Well, God, we are grateful for this time that we will spend together. And we pray that through my words, your word may be revealed. And that your word may point us to the word, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're told by Mark in our gospel story that Jesus was at home in Capernaum, the place where he based his ministry. And Mark makes sure we understand and we know that the house in Capernaum where Jesus is speaking the word is full, a full house that morning. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, Mark says. I'm sure Peter and Andrew and James and John, who had just been called to follow Jesus, were thrilled that the house was full that day. And Mark also wants us to know, then some people came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And what do they find when they get to that house? When they arrive, they find the door of the church is blocked to them. The people make no effort to move. The people won't make a way. They won't change their position. They won't make space for anyone other than themselves to be there with Jesus. And those bringing their friend to Jesus see that there is no room for them in that house. But we are about to see the gospel truth that four of a kind beats a full house. And I didn't learn that from watching ESPN, the World Series of Poker. I learned it from this story. These friends of the paralytic will not be stopped. They are tenacious in their determination to get their friend to Jesus. With great steadfastness and faithfulness, creativity and imagination, they make their way to the rooftop and proceed to remove enough tiles from that roof over the head of Jesus to lower their friend's stretcher 
into the presence of Jesus. And brushing away the debris from his head and probably around his shoulders, Jesus looks at the man on the mat in front of him and then looks up at four faces peering over the hole above him. And what he sees in those friends is what looks to him to be what is called faith. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of his friends is enough for Jesus to let the will of God be done and let the kingdom of love and grace come. Let healing happen to their broken companion. What is their faith, Jesus sees? I believe their faith is that Jesus sees their persistent, loving, ingenious, creative, not to be deterred, hope-filled, majority-resisting, boundary-breaking, reputation-risking, domination-free faith, hope, and love in action for the well-being of their friend. He sees in them a steadfast love and kindness that will not fail their friend. When you think of it, Jesus sees in these friends something of a reflection of himself. He sees himself in them. They embody faith in the eternal, whose love is everlasting, and they, he sees in them a love for their neighbor and that neighbor's well-being. Who has helped carry you along to Jesus? Whose Christ-like faith has opened space for you to experience the presence of Jesus? Over the years, I've had friends in whom I have seen reflected the image of Christ, and who perhaps without even knowing it, have carried me along to Jesus, the living word for my well-being and my Christian formation. And nearly 40 years ago, during my Metropolitan Chicago ministry days, I was a young Baptist minister searching for a Baptist model of spiritual formation and my quest led me to a Baptist minister named Walter Rauschenbusch, who was born 158 years ago this weekend, October 4th, 1861. Just as he did with the American church and with American society in his time, he tore open the roof of my nice, neat, safe, theological and spiritual structure that surrounded me in my life at that time. And his faith opened space to get me closer to Jesus, more clearly to see Jesus. The life he lived, the books and articles he wrote, the letters he composed, the sermons he preached, and the prayers he offered still carry me to Jesus and move me along to live in God 
more fully, more freely, more fearlessly. His faith has touched my life and my journey on the road with Jesus Christ. He was a second generation Baptist in America, preceded by five generations of Lutherans in Germany. And while at seminary, as a student in Rochester, New York, during his summer months, he served in Louisville, Kentucky, at the German-speaking Baptist church at the corner of Broadway and Hancock. And following seminary, his 11 years as pastor of this German-speaking Baptist church, the second German Baptist church of New York City's notorious Hell's Kitchen neighborhood, so infested with poverty and crime and disease and crowded tenants and prostitution and alcoholism and unemployment and malnutrition, those years challenged him and shaped him, reformed and redirected his spiritual journey forever. He came to New York City in 1886, ready to save souls. And he soon realized that there was more to be saved than souls. The young pastor recognized that the neighborhood was not, he said, a safe place for safe souls which convinced him of the gospel mandate for social salvation, as well as personal salvation. He had experienced an awakening that would continually challenge him as a Christian and as an American, and which he persistently used to challenge all Christians and all Americans in his time. Hell's Kitchen had torn up the roof of his house of his life and his theology to get him closer to Jesus. He returned to Rochester Seminary in 1897 and gave the rest of his life, 21 years, as a professor who sought not only to inform his students, but also to form them theologically and shape them spiritually, and if necessary, break through the roof and open space for them into the transforming presence of Jesus Christ. During his Hell's Kitchen days, Rauschenbusch was firmly gripped by Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God, which he said is the hallowing of God's name and the doing of God's will. He said it embraced everything he believed. Everything in life was embraced by the kingdom. That idea, he said, is necessarily as big as humanity for it means the divine transformation of all humanity. To what Mark Twain called the Gilded Age, when the glittery exterior covered up ugly conditions and social evils below the surface, and the gold-plated overlay of extreme and concentrated wealth covered over staggering poverty. To an unfettered, industrialized, militarized, urbanized, polarized society at a time of inequality, growing dislocation and disorientation, rising nativism, 
abuse of immigrants, and a raging debate on immigration. Our Baptist brother, Walter Rauschebusch, was a fearless follower of Jesus Christ and a prophetic voice of protest whose lectures in the classroom and sermons in the pulpit, whose writings and commentaries, whose prayers and presence, whose being and doing turned heads and touched hearts and served to carry people to Jesus for personal transformation and for ushering in the kingdom of God of justice and mercy and love. Today's influence endures. And while he died a century ago, in 1918, the mark he left and the impact he made are very much alive. He is a spiritual guide for, as Fosdick wrote in his hymn, the living of these days. Of course, as Mark shows us in our story, when Jesus is doing his healing, serving, transforming work, controversy breaks out. The scribes question Jesus' authority and his power and begin the resistance to Jesus and his kingdom movement. When Rauschenbusch gave expression to the gospel of personal and social salvation, the changing of hearts and reforming social structures and economic systems, controversy followed him too. Just like the Savior and Lord he followed, Rauschenbusch, to the day he died at age 57, was not welcome by everybody. It was the time when fundamentalism came about, and the target was Walter Rauschenbusch. He was aware of the antagonism that hounded him, and he spoke with the voice of experience when he said that service in the spirit of Christ and suffering are inseparable signs of the cross on every servant who takes Jesus seriously. And all the while, woven into his passion for social transformation was this deep devotion to prayer and silence and reflection, meditation, and the soul's communion with God. Rauschenbusch has been a formative voice in my spiritual journey. He is a Baptist mentor who blends the contemplative, the compassionate, and the communal. He is, for me, a spiritual guide on the inward journey, the outward journey, and a common journey, leading more, me more deeply into solitude and service and solidarity. The Quaker writer Douglas Steer once said that a saint's life at heart is a life of attention to and abandonment to the besieging love of God. The only claim saints make is the desire to know and serve God, to willingly, trustingly put themselves fully into God's hands. And Steer added, 
that the question the saint always asks is not, who am I, but whose am I? And the answer comes back again and again, I am thine, O Lord. And as the old Fanny Crosby hymn adds, I have heard thy voice, and it told thy love to me. Whose am I? Was the question Walter Rauschenbusch asked throughout his life. And I am thine, O loving Lord, was the answer that came back over and over. Whose am I? Whose are you? Whose are we? To answer back in a heartfelt way from the bottom of your being, I am thine, O Lord, comes from knowing you too have been carried along to Jesus by friends. To Jesus, the living word who frees us and heals us and sends us home changed formed and transformed. Jesus Christ, the source of wholeness and life in this world and the next. Jesus, the one, said Rauschenbusch, who is the unsullied mirror of God's glory, the unblurred image of God's substance. Jesus, said Rauschenbusch, draws us. He masters us. He transforms us. In him we see God. In him we possess God. In him God possesses us. I am thine, O Lord. Think of those friends who have carried you to Jesus, who said, come away to a quiet place that you may rest a while. Am I wrong in my impression, asked Rauschenbusch, or is it true that in our busy Christian lives, so bustling, the quiet, gentle elements of spiritual communion, the devoutness of a secret walk with God, are imperiled, or to some extent, lost? We do much for God, he said, but we do not rest much in God. He once said in an ordination sermon, be not so busy in your master's service that you have no time to be in the master's presence. I wish someone would have told me that at my ordination. He likened the soul to a castle, and in the castle is a garden, and into the garden there's a little gate, and when you pass through that gate, you enter the presence of God. And he said, the great quiet of God where big things become small, and small things become great, and the ordinary and despised are shot through with glory. Think of those friends who've taken you to Jesus and set you on this journey of solitude. Think of your friends who have carried you to Jesus, who on the night of his betrayal said with towel in hand, rising from his knees at the feet of his disciples, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Rauschenbusch said, a Christ-like life 
without putting into practice Christ-like words and deeds is a delusion. And putting forth a Christ-like words and deeds without checking evil and extending God's kingdom is inconceivable. To say, I am thine, O Lord, entails an outward journey of service for the sake of others in the world. And think of those friends who have carried you to Jesus, who taught us to pray not my Father, but our Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Rauschenbusch said, the holy ways of Jesus are rooted in three principles. The sacredness of life and personality, the solidarity of human, uh, the human family, and the obligation of the strong to stand up for all those whose life is impaired or whose place with humanity is denied. He said, I make an act of love toward all people, all fellow human beings. I accept them as they are with all their sins and failures, and I declare my solidarity with them. I desire to minister God's love to all people, he said, and to offer no hindrance to the free flow of God's love through me. To say, I am thine, O Lord, requires a common journey of solidarity with all people. You remember the first book of C.S. Lewis's classic Narnia Chronicles, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Young Lucy is asked, she asks, if this magnificent lion, Aslan, is safe. And Lucy is told, no, he is not safe, but he is good. Is Jesus safe? No but he is good. Is his servant Walter Rauschenbusch safe? No, but he is good. And as a good spiritual friend and guide, Walter Rauschenbusch told us in 1897 words that to me are the most touching and profound of everything he wrote when he said, the main thing, the main thing is to have God, to live in God, to have God live in us, to think God's thoughts, to love what God loves and hate what God hates, to realize God's presence, to feel God's holiness and to be holy because God is holy, to feel God's goodness in every blessing of our life and even in its tribulations, to be happy and trustful to join the great purposes of God and to be lifted to greatness of vision and faith and hope with God. This, said Rauschenbusch, is the blessed life. This is the life we are carried into when we are carried along to Jesus. It too is not safe, but it is good. It is the blessed life. It is to live in God whose steadfast love never ceases and whose mercies never come to an end and are new every morning. This God, living in this God, of whom we say, great is thy faithfulness. I am thine, O Lord.
close our service today with a time of response that you might be able to give your heart and life to this Christ who calls us to personal salvation, that you may be a part of this community of grace that believes in the social transformation in the image of Christ to the world. You are welcome to now respond as we stand and sing hymn 187, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Allow me to offer my words of appreciation to Dennis and his leadership today. Uh, my father always said that everyone at one time was named Johnson. And then when you did something wrong, the name Johnson was taken away from you. That was his big joke. And though I knew it was never true about myself, I almost believe it might be true about you, Dennis. Wonderful job. I've heard that sermon twice today. And I got something meaningful out of it each time. 
reminding us that we live on this spinning planet, sometimes rotating the same themes over and over and over again. For greed and corruption and the desire for more is oftentimes the stress of the world against the backs of those who are vulnerable. Let us remember people like Walter Rauschenbusch and our own Lord Jesus Christ and our own calling in his name to stand up for those for whom there is no advocate. I hope you will take that message to heart as a part of your sincere Christian commitment. Thank you, Dennis, for your leadership. I'm going to let you go ahead and leave to the vestibule so that people can shake your hand and give you their own words of appreciation as they exit. And as you exit the vestibule, I hope you don't leave the building. For indeed, we have a wonderful meal for you at no cost. Even if you're just going to hang out and talk to people for a while, uh, you don't have to worry about beating the Methodist to the you know, Logan Steakhouse today. Uh, I am going to ask as you exit to eat that you go through the gym and then the line for the food is down the hallway as you come back toward the tables. So to get in line, you'll go through the doors that go into the gym and then back around to get your food. Anything else we need to know? Would you bow down for the benediction today, adapted from one by Bishop Ken Untenner. We plant seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted knowing that they hold future promise. We cannot do everything. And there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. Because it enables us to do what we can and to seek to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for God's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master and the worker. We are the workers, not the master. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future not our own. To God be the glory, through Jesus Christ, his son in the power of the Holy Spirit.